0: Hey, welcome to another study from the Sojourners in the Storm Bible Study Group. Um, today we are going to be starting John, uh, 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to cover the first three verses in that chapter. Um, you know, this is a verse-by-verse verse Bible study. This is a line-by-line, precept-upon-precept Bible study. And, you know, sometimes we will cover an entire chapter. Sometimes we will cover a few verses. It just all depends on what uh, the direction is from the Holy Spirit that you know that we need to learn, that we need to build upon. This book, in particular, this you know this epistle First John has been very much about you know a, a few verses at a time, and you know what, that's really good because it's changing my life. I hope it's changing yours as you're listening and following along. Um, So with that, let's get started in chapter three. We've still got a couple more chapters to go. It's going to be, uh, you know, probably a few months while we cover this stuff up and, uh, you know, and learn it and digest it. And really, I hope that you guys are reflecting on it and that it is sinking into your hearts and it's coming out in everything that you do um, in your life. And so with that, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, Lord, thank you again, Lord, for another opportunity, Lord, to meet in your name, to um, you know, to study your word, Lord. Thank you so much for, you know, sending scripture down from heaven, Lord, that us, just mere men, would be able to understand your mind, Lord, understand what you have for us, know your will, know your way, know how much you love us, Lord. And, uh, Father, we just praise you for that, Lord. We praise you for the opportunity to study your word wherever we're at, Lord. And in this day and age with the internet and you know, smartphones and all that other stuff, Lord, we can access your word, we can access teaching, we can access um, so many different things, Lord, that help us in our growth and our walk with you. And so, Father, I pray that this would be a blessing to anybody that listens. Um, Lord, both this month, this week, this year, and, and beyond, Father. Father, we just thank you, and I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, verse John... Uh, first john chapter three uh, verses one through three now um, i've entitled this message in his image because in the end we are all to be made into his image right and uh, we will cover that a little bit more as we get on but you know we all have certain traits and mannerisms that we develop from our parents right um, have you ever noticed how much you might look like your mom or your dad or how much you might act like your mom or your dad um, even if you don't really look like them all that much, you know, some of us start to look more and more like them as we get older. Uh, some of us are the spitting image of our parents right now, right? Um, some of us look like our grandparents. It, it, you know, it's part of the traits that are passed down uh, to us from our families. Um, you know, we act the same, we walk the same, we develop like personalities with our parents. You know, we have them ingrained in our entire being. Our souls, for instance, are created at conception. We receive part of our mom and part of our dad, in the, and in them, uh, we reflect them you know, in who we are and as we grow up in our, our lives and we uh, you know, develop. We have those traits in us. You know, part of their soul is part of our soul. Uh, you know, if we are raised by a family member or grandparents, the same thing happens. You know, we get those traits passed along by watching and learning from those that teach us. But you know that it's an earthly type of life that I'm describing here. Now that's the birth of the flesh that we physically resemble. And today we're going to talk about the spiritual resemblance we're going to have with the Father, right? With the Father God, Yahweh God. Now we as believers are part of something so much bigger than just the church. We are part of a kingdom, the kingdom, and not by any merit or purchase, but by birthright obtained when we are born again into the Spirit." You know, we are called to be partakers of something bigger than just what we see here. We are called to be sons of God and daughters of God, and in, in that bear a resemblance to God for God. In Romans chapter 8 verse 14 it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs then heirs of god and joint heirs with christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together so you know let's take a look at what it means to become a member of that kingdom you know we talked about the distinctives of a believer last week now let's look at the rewards of that belief that, uh, and what we need to do to keep up our end of that deal. And so our main point for the day is God's love gives life to sinners and hope to the hopeless. Okay, As believers, we know that our lives are not just defined by what, by what comes out of our mouths, but what shows in our actions. You know, anybody can claim to be a Christian, but a Christian is set apart in their actions rather than their claims. You know, in going back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 29 from last week, it says, If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Right? So God is righteous. God is perfect. God is the benchmark. So what do we do? We practice that righteousness, right? We strive for that perfection. We see the benchmark and we reach for it right we're always constantly going the goalpost doesn't move God is the same yesterday today and tomorrow so it's up to us to find that goalpost and make it our goal right to get towards it you know the world uh, the word practice means that you put into action your beliefs you know we as believers should be of the understanding that Jesus is the most righteous man that ever lived and those born of him those that have been born again in the spirit practice the same righteousness but it means so much more for us to exercise the uh, to experience the second birth than we could ever really conceive in our minds you know we are not only granted a pardon for the sin that condemned us but we're adopted we're grafted into the heavenly family we are put into a position where we are filled with the holy spirit and fueled to bear fruit by the holy spirit I don't know if you guys have ever seen tree grafting done. Now it's a practice that takes place in uh, the horticulture field. Uh, I know a lot of it takes place in Israel with the, uh, the olive trees that are out there. But what it means is to take the shoot or a branch off of a, say a wild olive tree. And you take it and you cut it and you make a like kind of a slither into the end of the branch. And you go to your cultivated branch, uh, tree and you make a slit into the bark and what you do is you slide that other branch into that slit and there's a special tape that you can buy that binds it all together that uh, you know degrades over time as, as that tree grows but what happens is the host tree starts to accept that branch you know so its roots start to feed that branch so if you had a wild branch that was producing a lot of fruit and you've got a cultivated tree that was not really producing very much. Well, now you have a producing branch on a cultivated tree. Now you have more production coming out of there, right? The same thing happens if you uh, Google some of the, um, the trees that are out there. Uh, I know that there's like trees out there that are orange trees that are also producing limes and lemons on the same thing. You know, it's a like tree, uh, but they all grow the, all these different things because these other branches have been grafted in. That's what it's like for us when we come from outside of the world, right? When we are wild, when we are against God, and then we accept God. God grafts us into the kingdom. He grafts us into his nature and his love. And and we start to grow and bear fruit off of that, right? We, we, We might have always been bearing fruit before, but now that fruit is coming from a righteous place. You know, it means so much more for us to experience a second birth than we can ever really conceive in our minds. I've already read that. Um, You know, we are no longer separated when we are grafted in, though, by our sin. We are no longer in opposition when we are born again, but we are now abiding or working in accordance to the will of God. We are no longer of the world, but now separated from it. It's like being taken out of an orphanage. You go from being in a pool of others and taken into a home, into a family, being impressed upon by that family and becoming like them, right? you know, you're no longer an outsider, but an insider of that family. The same goes for us when we're born again. We go from outside of the family of God and are welcomed into the presence of the godly family, so to speak. So in John, First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. So our first point is, God's love towards those that ask forgiveness comes with adoption. Now, I would imagine it's difficult entering into a home as an adopted child, right? I think a person would have to, a hard time grasping the sacrifice that a family makes to take them in. You know, in our case, it's the same when we really think about it. You know, look at what God did for us in order to bring us in. Um, I, I'm not sure about all the rules of adoption here on, on, on earth. I'm not sure how it works, uh, you know how much money you have to pay, and all this, and that, and the other. But I know God paid a ransom for us. I know He paid a ransom for you and me, that we could be adopted by Him, that we could be part of His kingdom. Now, let's read about that in John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, think about that. He gave his only son to die on a cross so that we would have the opportunity to become members of his family, to be grafted in, right? He paid the price for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 it says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now can you imagine that type of sacrifice? Not just the sacrifice, but the burden of laying the sin of the world on your only Son. Well in doing that God paid the ultimate price for us. For those that choose to believe in order to give us life. Right? And it's not that he did it for a certain people, a certain race, a certain country, uh, you know, a certain uh, type of person. But he did it for everybody. You know, if Osama bin Laden would have repented after the attacks on the World Trade Center and truly asked God into his heart and asked for forgiveness, he would have received that. That's how graceful and good God is. You know, so when John says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, the word behold it's like look at this it's like check it out witness the spectacle you know it's a great magnitude of what you're about to see when you go into a movie theater and the lights go dark what is the next thing you see you see this giant screen and that's all you see right except for like if you're short and you see the back of somebody's head in front of you or somebody's wearing a hat but look it's behold it's in front of you you're witnessing the spectacle that's what he's saying you know, it's a great love that God give us has shown us. And so that's what John is saying. He's like, behold, take it in. Look at this. Look what happened here. You know, um, our forgiveness comes uh, not by mere man, but by the God-man that died for us, Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven to dwell among his creation, to be shamed and accused and hung on a cross and die a shameful death for all people, that in all ages, and in all ages, and not only that, but take those people and give them of the inheritance of God the Father and make them adopted children of the Most High. You know, think about that. John writes that we should be called little children, uh, that we should be called children of God. You know, that doesn't just mean to be a partaker, but that means to have a legal authority as a child of God. We are not just a member of a group as a, as children of God but we are blood relatives through the blood of Jesus Christ it gives us an intimate relationship with our Savior it takes us from outsiders and makes us insiders into the heavenly realm where God dwells you know but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become uh, this is verse John chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 it says but as many as received him to give them uh, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Now that's important. You've got to believe in His name to be a child of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You've got to be born of the Holy Spirit. Born of the Spirit. Into a spiritual life. You know, we are granted a legal authority as children of God. Not in name, but in rights to the kingdom. We become inheritance to the kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 56, verse 5, it says, "Not even to them will I give; uh, even to them I will give in my house, and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off." You know, it's an awesome reality to know that you are part of God's kingdom. And not just invited in from time to time, but you're given the keys and an all-access pass to the Father. You know, when that veil tore when Jesus died on the cross and and the earth shook and the graves opened, man, that door was open for us. It was no longer presented just to the high priest. It was no longer presented to anybody, but so that you and me could go boldly to the throne of grace. That you and me could enter the holiest of holies at any time, any moment of the day. We are always welcome at the throne room of God. All we got to do is go to Him and talk. You know, and He's there. He listens. He answers. It's so awesome the way God loves us. Only God would show that type of grace to the sinner. To have that type of mercy towards transgressors. And forgive and give of Himself that most dear to Him. To allow those separated from Him the ability to partake in His glory. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4 it says, But God for by grace you have been saved through faith and not and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God you know when we choose Jesus we choose so much more than just a faith or a religion as the world sees it we choose a life of everlasting bounty and joy and understanding the promise of God's mercy on us grace can be described as God's riches at Christ's expense you know he gave of himself for us to get what we do not deserve we may pay a price sometimes in trials and tribulations but it's nothing in comparison to what God gave for us what is yet and and what is yet to come really But what God has for us is all centered on the decision that we make at the cross do we accept or do we move away and reject the offer God has made for us letter B uh, uh, letter B says to not know God is to reject adoption. You know, how many people do we know that we've witnessed to, that we've given the gospel to, that we've taken and invited to church and just walk out and say, yeah, well, it was nice, but it's not for me. You know, that's a rejection of that adoption. And in the second part of verse one here says, therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now, this is an interesting uh, line here because we got to take a, a real good hard look at the word us in this verse. The world does not know us. That means that when we are really living for the Lord, we are, rebe- we are bearing a resemblance to the Lord. It means we bear His mark on our lives. We have been impacted by the gospel of grace and transformed from the dead in sin to the living by that grace. Jesus said in John chapter 16 verse 3, and these things they do to you because you because they have not known the Father nor me. You know, the world has formulated its, itself its own version of God. It's created itself many gods of the false kind. And those that worship the true God, those that stick to the Bible, stick to the teachings of the Bible that are conservative in their faith, are usually ostracized, right? You're put off, you're marginalized, you're a... Uh, a right-winger or you're a uh, fundamentalist and you know it's, it's attached a bad name to it but what the world has done is the world's created their own narrative of what God should be and that narrative changes all the time you know the goalpost is always moving with them you know when people create false go- uh, fake gods the people become like those fake gods they are unable to move or act with any type of compassion because their gods lack love and compassion you may make your own god. Uh, when you make your own gods, you control your own gods. In Psalm 115 verse 4 it says their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths but they do not speak, eyes they have but they do not see, they have ears but they do not hear, noses they have but they do not smell. They have hands but they do not handle, feet yet they uh, feet they have but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So everyone who tru- uh, so is everyone who trusts in them. You know that's pretty heavy. We can create all the false gods that we want, but you know what? Those gods are just represented representations of us, right? If your god doesn't change you, but you change your god, there is something wrong with that god. But that is not the god that we know. You know he changes us, and we become like him. We are granted a knowledge and an understanding of time and reality because God is the author of time and reality. We cannot create He who created us, but only seek to know Him, and that is what sets us apart from the world. That is why the Word does not know us, because the God they do not know is the same God that teaches us what we know. You know, it is foreign to them. God is foreign to them. He loves them, and He knows them, but it's a one-sided kind of knowledge. And so, when their time comes, they leave this world separated from God because they did not choose to know God. They will see God, but when they do, they will be uh, different from Him in that they will uh, did not partake in His grace or His mercy, but rejected it and thus leave the world with the burden of their sin around their necks and face judgment for it. You know, we are a different tribe. We that know the Lord, we are part of the most inclusive, yet exclusive family that has ever existed. And even though it is offered as a means of salvation for all, not all will accept it. And by, and by not accepting it, they are separated from the acceptors. You know, there is a familiar, familiar, familiarity, but not an understanding. And that is what John is getting at. We may appear to be like them, but we internally are different from them. And when the time comes, we will see what we really are going to look like for all the eternity, right? Outwardly, we're going to have a different appearance, I believe. In John chapter, first uh, John chapter three, verse two, it says, "Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for He shall, uh, for we shall see Him as He is." So let her see when Jesus returns, we will be as He is. You know, nobody really knows physically what we are going to look like when we uh, enter heaven. You know, I kind of am of the understanding that when we do die and we are separated from our body and present with the Lord, as Scripture says, that our spirit goes up, and our spirit is conscious. Our spirit is in heaven. Our spirit is is worshiping. But we are not a physical presence at that point. Um, but at the time when the Lord calls us, calls everybody home, when the rapture happens, I think that is when we do receive a physical body, right? Uh, if you if you read the the word that the people are called up out of their graves, that uh, we are changed in the twinkling of an eye, we put on the incorruptible at that point. I think that's when we all get our uh, our celestial bodies, and and not just our earthly bodies, but it's also interesting too because when Jesus went into the grave, the same body that went in is the same body that came out, but it was transformed. It was no longer an earthly body that needed food and water to eat, uh, to to survive, but it was fueled by the spirit, right? It was it it was um, a supernatural body, and that's the same type of body that we're gonna have, you know. It's really hard to describe it uh, and even the Bible doesn't really give us a very good uh, answer for that. If you look at Paul and his uh, visit to heaven when, when, when he was called up and he writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, he doesn't really have an answer. And so let's read that. It says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago when in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven and I know such a man whether in the body or out of the body I do not know God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter you know we know that we will someday see it and be partakers of the majesty of heaven but. It's indescribable of what we're going to see. You know, as far as physically, it's hard to say what we'll be looking like. You know, I like I said, I do believe that we'll be alert and we'll be aware of the surroundings. There's a belief out there called soul sleep, in which the dead in Christ are in a coma of sorts uh, until the return of Christ. But if you look at Revelation and see that there's an active participation in worship by those present in heaven, I think it's easy to rule that theory out. Um... You know, I but looking at Paul's account, I think it softens the blow for us to know that when a man uh, or or a woman, like a grandparent or a family member, passes on or graduates to heaven, you know, they're in a place that we can only imagine and cannot describe. You know, Paul says, you know, there's not even words that can describe it. It, You know, it it would be unlawful for me to describe it. It's so awesome, right? Uh, And You know, where are you at? Where's my grandma? Where's my grandpa? Where's my uncle? They're in that place, man. And and they probably couldn't describe it at this point. And it's been years since they've been passed on. You know, but we're going to witness that. We're going to partake in that. And not only in that, we're going to see Jesus face to face as he is. Right? In Revelation, it says he uh, he stood there as a lamb that had been slain. You know, are we going to bear the marks that we bear or, or attain for Christ? Are we going to be young and have all our hair back if we need to? or uh, you know, It's hard to say. We really don't know, right? But I do believe that we will be so caught up in the presence of God that we will have no other desire while we're up there. We won't even worry about it. All we're going to do is worship Him without end. And, uh, you know, when we get up there and we cast our crown, we drop to a knee. You know, I'm so glad that we won't have to be able to breathe anymore because, I don't think I could if I saw Jesus face to face right now. You know, I, I guarantee I'd drop to my hands and my knees and fall on my face and just cry and weep and, and and just tell him how much I love him, you know, what he's done for me. You know, I think the main thing though that we will be as far as seeing Jesus as he is and when we see him, we shall be like him. You know, Jesus is righteous. We may not understand what happens in this earthly life, Uh, We live, but when we see Him, it will all make sense to us. You know, He is living, and when we see Him, we will be be just overwhelmed by His love for us. Now, I think we will be made righteous by our faith in Christ and His justification of us and loving on those that are yet to come still, right? I think that's where we're going to see Him as He is. We're going to be made righteous. We're going to be spotless. As he is spotless. We are going to be perfect as he is perfect. But not until that day that we see him. In Romans chapter 8 verse uh, 18 it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, the loving though, I believe, needs to start here and now for the believer Love tells us the truth, and the truth is that all men need Jesus. And so we must love all and evangelize all. If God loved us enough to cover our sins, we can try at the very least uh, to tell others and give them the opportunity that we have to receive the same forgiveness that Jesus offers, that we've all partaken in. You know, I doubt we could ever really wrap our finite minds around what it is going to be like when we see Jesus. When we drop to our knees and cast our crowns at his feet and worship. When he wipes away every tear and heals every scar. I'm glad we will not need to breathe, like I said. I don't think I could, uh, I, I could find the ability to breathe in the awe and majesty of the risen king. You know, we may not know if we're in a physical or a spiritual state, but I do believe that what John is telling us here is that we are going to be righteous in the eyes of the righteous king of the universe. Nobody can ever make a claim against you forevermore and henceforth, right? God has sealed you. He's put his mark on you. You are done. You're completed. That's when we are finished. You know, we're always a work in progress, but when we graduate to heaven and the Lord shows us who we are as he are, as He is, that is when we are made perfect. You know, it comes from a lifetime, though, of faith, a lifetime of seeking his face, a lifetime of growth and maturity. And so in verse 3 it says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. So letter D, the expectation of heaven is granted through the repentance of sin. Our hope and our expectation is to find out what we will be like, what heaven is like, and to see Jesus face to face. It does not come through just making a statement of faith and just moving on, like it was just a step that we take, right? Our expectation is a manifestation of the life we live in order to reach that goal. Now, I know it sounds like I'm advocating for some sort of works, but I'm really not. What I'm saying is that there is a difference in believing and believing. You know, there's a difference in believing Jesus is God and believing Jesus is God by acting like it. You know, and we act like it by changing our lives and reflecting the virtues and character of Jesus. In James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. right, so... I guess in the end, we do have to have works. But our works have to be faith-motivated. You know, we do this in a number of ways. First of all, we do it by repenting or purifying ourselves of the sin that that, that, uh, had us and sometimes has us in bondage, right? We have to remove that from our lives. We have to purify ourselves, as the Word says. We've got to move away from that. We've got to become more like Jesus. If Jesus was sinless... We've got to be more like Jesus. We've got to sin less, right? You know, we've spoken about the character gap. We've discussed maturity and growth. If we are going to resemble Christ, our faith needs to work out the Antichrist in us and allow the true resemblance of Christ to come forward. You know, there has to be action on our part. If we are to be the invisible church, we need to be the active church. If sin is selfish, then we need to be sinless and selfless for those around us. True faith is not candles and cloaks, but compassion, love, virtue, leadership, and submission to the Lord. We must not call ourselves children of God unless we resemble that God. Because when the time comes and the wheat is separated from the chaff, when the goats are separated from the sheep, when the wheat and the tares are separated, God will know us for not uh, or not know us. And it will be our own fault, right? God is graceful and merciful and loving and forgiving. But we have a personal responsibility to uphold the family name and be as He is. You know, He has given us the whole world, the kingdom of heaven, by adoption. But it is up to us as believers to do the work laid out in front of us. You know, we call ourselves Christians. Well, the word Christian means one like Christ. And, you know... If Christian is the family name, we need to be one like Christ. We cannot expect anything if we do not work for it, right? Then why should we expect heaven if we are not willing to look deep into our lives to make the changes we need to make in order to purify ourselves just as he is pure? You know, there are no righteous deeds, no certificates that we show Jesus at judgment, only faith and what we have done through faith and with our faith. What we do in submission to the Lord, for the Lord and not for ourselves. Not double-minded or seeking uh, some other motives. If we are pure in our intentions, our our intentions must be pure. Our hearts must be contrite and our focus on Jesus. Just as Jesus has called us to the Father, the Father calls us to reflect the Son. You know, think about that. And we should all think about that. We should all be working on repenting. There's always something in our lives that we need to repent from. You know, whether it's pride, whether it's anger, whether it's lust, whether it's, um, you know, greed or, or, um, you know, so many other things. We've got to get that out of our lives. We've got to clear that out of our lives. We've got to be the loving sons of the loving God, right? So with that, guys, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for adopting us into your family, Lord. Father, thank you for telling us, Lord, that you're going home to prepare a room in your Father's house for us, Lord. You know, our adopted room, our adopted place, Lord, in your kingdom. Father, thank you so much for that. Lord, I pray that we would all uphold the family name. I pray that we would all repent, that we would all look for opportunities to witness, Lord, to share the love that you have given us, Lord, that it would overflow in each and every one of us, Father. Father, we thank you, and we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.